everyone, welcome back to the Daily Blend Show. Today is Friday the 8th, 2021, and this is the Friday Top 5. In this first edition of the Friday Top 5 for the year, we've got five stories that have highlighted the news of the last couple weeks. The first is the potential carve-out of Reebok from Adidas. Next up, Peloton gets some supply chain relief from pre-core acquisition. Apple jumps into the fitness space. Brooks Brothers looks to reinvent themselves. And Sales Loft continues to rise in evaluation. As always, this episode can be downloaded from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And of course, dailyblend.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have all episodes downloaded automatically to your device. So with all that said, let's jump into the show. So the first story comes in about Adidas trying to carve out Reebok. And so this really hits on two things that I'm very passionate about, mergers and acquisitions and sneaker and fitness culture. So if you've listened to this podcast or follow my Instagram, you know I'm a big sneaker head. So, you know, I'm coming at this first from a a consumer and second from a business lens. So from a consumer standpoint, what's interesting is Reebok has really struggled to find its identity. Uh, for years, they've tried to find sports to align with. Um, they've tried with the uh, NFL with the uh, t-shirts and jerseys and sort of cleats. They've tried with the CrossFit uh, industry with uh, sneakers and apparel. They've even tried the uh, the music and entertainment route with uh, folks like Swiss Beats originally and then more recently with Victoria Beckham. So when you think about what Adidas has done, you know, they've got Beyonce, they've got Pharrell, they've got Kanye, and they're really trying to do the same thing potentially with Victoria Beckham. Uh, and you just haven't seen that take off. You also don't have the legacy of, of product sets or, or skew count like uh, Adidas or Nike, I feel like, yeah, you've got some stuff from Shaq, you've got some stuff from Allen Iverson, you've got some uh, footwear from the 80s, uh, but it really isn't that deep repository that Nike certainly has and Adidas has or has developed. So from a product set standpoint, you know, they, they do have some archives, I just don't think they're as rich. And from a kind of market niche standpoint, you know, I think they need to focus on one part lifestyle and the other part is sort of alternative training or continue to double down on that CrossFit market. I think Nike's entered there. I don't have the dollars on, on how much of a market share they have, but Reebok seems to be able to compete, whereas in other sports or other you know verticals, they're struggling. So that's one thing. I also think it was really interesting to see that Master P and is trying to put together a, a investment group, which could be uh could be something of interest if if he could end up uh putting together a group that wants to go and buy that highly unlikely but uh who knows now from a carve out standpoint uh, i think adidas is going to have a major write down uh, i think the estimates are somewhere between the 800 million and a billion uh based on what they paid for it uh back uh about 15 years ago and you know adidas is getting smart they've gotten rid of uh tailor made golf this would be the the next sort of um, right off of, of their more recent acquisitions the last 20 years. And Adidas should focus on their core, uh, you know, brands, you know, Adidas and Adidas Originals, and let other folks uh, tackle and leverage the Adidas brand moving forward. So I'll be interested to see how this shakes out, who ends up buying them, what they end up doing with the company, 
And uh, if they're able to, you know, maintain uh, a competitive edge uh, in the sort of the second tier with uh, put Under Armour in that bucket at this point, um, and really if they stay at the, the sort of second tier for the, the foreseeable future, or if they can actually find meaningful ways to compete with Adidas and Nike. The second story comes in about Peloton acquiring Precourt, and I think this was an acquisition from a, you know an outsider standpoint that I didn't see coming. You know, I think Lululemon bought uh, Mirror for five hundred million, and when you look at this acquisition, this feels like a much better deal for what they paid. You know, Lululemon buying Mirror, yes, that gets them into the uh, fitness space and uh, technology space, but Precore, I mean. You've got, first of all, you've got a massive 600,000 square foot warehouse uh, on shore that can help with um, Peloton's supply chain logistics challenges and being able to build those products here on state instead of uh, elsewhere. The second is they've got a massive new market opportunity. You know, Precore is in, uh, you know, almost every hotel, office space, university. If Peloton can even tap into a, you know a small percentage of that, they can grow their population. I know Peloton's uh, set a lofty goal of having a hundred million subscribers, which seems a bit high. But when you start to think about you know every hotel, gym, and university in the U.S. and and maybe even outside of the U.S., maybe that isn't so uh, far fetched uh, or out there. I also think you're going to get an army of new engineers. And so right now, you know, Peloton has their four products. They have their their two bikes, the lower cost point one and or the original one, if you will. And then their new addition that has the swivel screen and the better speakers. And then the same thing with their treadmills. They had the original one that was something like four thousand dollars, and their new one, which is a, a more manageable twenty six thousand or twenty six hundred dollars. I kind of laugh because it's still extremely expensive. But if Peloton can start, um, you know, leveraging their R and D and and deploying that um, to the different product sets, then I think really. They become, uh, you know, a great subscription uh, service once we get out of this COVID because you're going to have your Peloton equipment at home and then presumably you'd be able to access your account on all this other equipment and use it, you know, when you're not at home. The third story comes in from Apple finally launching their fitness platform, Apple Fitness Plus. For roughly 10 bucks a month, you get access to uh, a slew of content across CrossFit, cross-training, yoga, stretching, bike riding, and general fitness. What's interesting is Apple took a very similar approach they did with the HomeKit, where not only do they have some sort of integrations or connectors with various uh, hardware, but they're also going to just be the platform, right, the hub. And so it kind of is like using your watch as the sensors or the way to interact with the various apps and services. And you can consume the content or participate, however you want to look at it, um, through uh, a screen on your tablet, your phone, or your Apple TV. What I think is interesting is that Apple didn't really look to get into the hardware space. And I, I doubt they will uh, anytime soon unless they do it through some sort of acquisition. But right now they're just looking to use, you know, Apple Fitness as a as a content platform. And my guess is they'll start rolling out more and more content and look for partnerships, probably looking at those who have tried to compete or continuing to try to compete with, let's say, a Peloton, 
and saying, let's partner and uh, we'll give you a platform and all this software if we can connect with your hardware. And that seems like a really great marriage. Also down the road, Apple may use some of the almost $3 trillion market value and carve out some of the cash and go ahead and buy one of these companies, maybe Peloton, probably not, but uh, a smaller company or maybe even like an in-the-box studio that needs a digital twin and is looking to expand outside the four walls. All right, so I've recorded this multiple times. I'm so struggling with the next story. So the acquisition of the Authentics Brands Group purchase of Brooks Brothers. Their new creative director, Michael Bastian, will be steering the brand towards athleisure. All right, I think I finally got that. So this was an interesting play for Brooks Brothers, not the fact that the Authentics Brands Group purchased them, but more that they're going down this athleisure route. And I, I get the direction here, right? Athleisure is all the rave, and Brooks Brother really lost their way. I mean, I don't know if you've entered or, or entered a Brooks Brothers store in a while. Uh, all their khakis have pleats or are just so wide that no one wants to wear them. Their blue blazers are still, you know, stuck in the uh, 80s and 90s with the gold buttons and their textures and, and kind of the materials are just rigid. And so the fact that, you know, Brooks Brothers wants to revitalize themselves and almost, it sounds like, become the J. Crew of, you know, let's say 10 years ago, makes total sense to me. The only thing I would say with Brooks Brothers is at some point, you know, we're going to go too far into the sweatpants and athletic gear and we're all going to finish up this COVID era and want to start dressing somewhat normal again. So I'd like to see sort of athletic wear, athleisure wear elevated, right? I want to see better tech where I can have like a blazer that's maybe a little more waterproof or four-way stretch, kind of sort of what Lululemon is attempting to do with their menswear brand, but even more geared towards like something I can actually wear to the office or on an airplane trip or on the train, you know, things that we used to do and not look terrible. You know, just throwing another company that has a, you know, a pullover and jogger pants I can get those already. I don't really look to Brooks Brothers for that. I look for sort of the elevated version of that. So hopefully we don't lose completely uh, what Brooks Brothers was founded on, you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, but we continue some sense of, of tradition there uh, with obviously a, a new energy. So we'll be very interested to, you know, see what uh, Michael comes up with. And I'll, I'll certainly uh, go and buy some of his new gear as soon as it comes out. Our fifth story comes in from Atlanta's own SalesLoft, and SalesLoft is a new Salesforce platform and really using AI to power a lot of the processes to help sales and sales team members execute more efficiently and effectively with following up with leads, helping them through virtual coaching tools, and assisting of the post-sales process. So to date, they've closed $100 million in funding, which pulls them up to almost a billion dollars in evaluation. And I'm really interested in this from two sides of the uh, the fence. The first is just looking at what they can do from a capability standpoint. Um, and, you know, can they compete with the other uh, CRM vendors in the space? And how are they different or innovative? And then the second is, is who's going to, you know, purchase them? You know, the goal I'm guessing, I don't know Kyle, uh, the CEO, but uh, I'm guessing Kyle wants to have a, you know, a, a sale at some point 
And, you know, is it a Salesforce or a Microsoft that ends up buying them and rolling them into their their stack? Or is it a, another tech company that looks to compete, you know, potentially like a, an Oracle or an AWS who's looking to compete with a Microsoft or Salesforce on the CRM space? So for those who haven't checked out uh, SalesLoft, I highly recommend going and having a look at their website and some of their demos. There's some interesting stuff, um, even if you don't end up going with them. It's, it's a company to be looking out for in the future. All right, so as always, or no, I shouldn't say as always, but oftentimes there's more than five stories on the Friday Top 5, and I feel like I need some sort of like ding or noise or something interesting, so we'll try to figure out what that is when there's like a bonus round or a bonus story. So the last story really comes in from uh, you know a podcast I was listening to uh, on the U.S. soccer team uh, podcast um, channel, and it was having uh, Tim Howard. And if you're not familiar with U.S. soccer, Tim Howard was a goalkeeper uh, in the MLS, in the English Premier League, and of course with the U.S. national team. And he's currently uh, on TV most weekends on NBC Sports, hosting the uh, Saturday and Sunday English Premier League games. Uh, he is a, uh, currently the sporting director, part owner, and goalkeeper at Memphis 901 FC. And, um, you know, he really comes into the, the episode and talks about some of his, like, career highlights, you know, what they're trying to do different uh, at Memphis. And for someone who had the uh, privilege to train with him when I was a little kid and really watched this guy's career over the years. I mean, the guy is just a complete class act. And I'm a massive fan of, of Tim's, and I, I say Tim like I'm buddies with him. But, you know, if you're a soccer fan or just really like the national team or want to hear an athlete who reached, you know, the, the top of his uh, levels talk about, you know, some interesting things about the journeys to get there and then lessons learned, I, I highly recommend you check out this uh, podcast. I'll have it linked in the show notes, also on uh, dailyblend.com in some of the show posts. But uh, with that said, um, I hope you enjoyed the first Friday Top 5 episode of the year uh, and looking forward to 2021. Um, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe us at Daily Blend on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. And then also, you know, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Reed Daily. Uh, that's R-E-E-D-D-A-I-L-E-Y. And with all that said, enjoy your weekend uh, and uh, talk next week. <laughs>